This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation, serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org. Welcome to the JMR podcast. We are recording on September 5th, 2019. I am David Johnson, your host for today's podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Aaron Young, who is known nationally for his demographic analyses of this nation's physician workforce. Aaron serves as the Vice President of Research and Data Integration for the Federation of State Medical Boards, and he is the lead author of the Federation's Census of Licensed Physicians in the United States which has recently been published in the most recent issue of the Journal of Medical Regulation. Aaron, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, Aaron, before we jump into any detailed findings of the Federation's 2019 Physician Census, could you explain just a little bit about its origins and the the importance, frankly, of the census? Yes, uh, certainly. That's a great question. Uh, You know, as as we you know, think about our um, state medical and osteopathic boards through the United States, they're well aware that uh, licenses are issued and renewed throughout the year. And one of the things that we you know, started to catch on to about a decade ago was it was very difficult to get a solid count uh, for the licensed physician population. Uh, so we started conversations you know, within the research department and with, uh, you know, with FSMB leadership. Uh, here at the Federation of State Medical Boards and start saying, you know, we thought it was important to try to find a point in time to where we could capture an accurate count. And that's where the origin came from. And we started back in 2010 and we conduct a census every other year. And this uh, 2018 census marks our fifth physician census uh, for uh, the licensed uh, physician population. Well, congratulations. Now, uh- You've mentioned sort of the origins here of the census, so can we talk a little bit about methodology for just a minute? I mean, how do you and your staff actually go about acquiring all this information and data on uh, these physicians and these licenses? You know, that's a great point. You know, the the data essentially comes courtesy of the state medical and osteopathic boards throughout the United States. Um, You know, we started out when we first started our first census, we had you know a lot of challenges because we were only getting uh, files, licensed files from each of the medical boards just one time per year. Uh, now we're getting files on a weekly or monthly basis from the medical medical and osteopathic boards throughout the United States, and that's the data we use. The Federation has a long history, uh, you know, of data usage through you know and data sharing with its medical boards. Right. Uh, we've been sharing for decades disciplinary data. But this new project that started really at the turn of the century, uh, you know, started out very small, and then we were able to, uh, you know, to to continue to improve the data collection process over time, and then really start to get into doing a regular census and running regular statistics for the uh, you know the licensed physician population. Also, this helps to improve the overall data quality for things like disciplinary alerts when you know the entire uh, you know, licensed population and where they're licensed. Because as our medical boards know that they can be licensed in more than one jurisdiction. You know, so the key from the methodology perspective right. on this is you've got to you know, try to synchronize you know, the data you know, across one physician. 
And as I mentioned, they may have multiple licenses, they may have specialty certification, they have different training and education. And you want to try to create, you know, some sort of master data management system. And that's what we were able to do to where a physician only exists one time in the database, but they may have different points at which they have different pieces of information. For example, a license in one state, a license in another, and then also maybe something like specialty certification or some sort of demographic characteristic. So I, I can imagine that the, the details uh, that your staff has to deal with in terms of cleaning up files are pretty extensive. I mean, something as simple as you know a name like David Johnson. I suspect there's quite a few David Johnsons in the United States that practice medicine, and your staff has to make sure that you're accounting for things like that. That's a great point. You know, the, we have a, a team of six individuals that actively manage this license data on a day-in and day-out basis. They're continuously loading files and uh, cleaning data, cleaning aspects of a f- particular record, whether right. it's uh, you know something that varies from one state medical board to the other. There are different formats that data comes in, um, and that can also be a challenge as well. But we think it's all worth it. We think the entire census process is worth it for several reasons. Uh, you know, we have seen an enormous amount of population growth in the United States over the years. You know, we're standing at 330 million uh, individuals within the United States now, and it's no secret that this population is also aging. Um, You know, baby boomers, uh, those that were born between 1946 and 1964, uh, by 2030, all of those baby boomers are gonna be 65 years and over. And the challenge with that is, is that you've got um, you know, those are the ones that are going to be using the care is those that are, you know, older individuals. You know, a recent Kaiser Foundation study, uh, you know, found that individuals 55 and older accounted for 56% of total health care spending. So that combined with evolving, you know, uh, evolving delivery methods of health care, uh, various digital platforms such as telemedicine, Um, And, you know, some novel approaches to legislation such as uh, the Interstate Medical License Compact are all creating, you know, new environments that create an opportunity and a need for regular information about the licensed physician population. Aaron, essentially in sharing some of these key takeaways, I mean, there were two things I really took away from what you just mentioned. First of all, the sheer increase in the number of physicians, but also an element of aging of the physician population. So can we talk about that specifically for just a moment? I mean, the, the data does seem to suggest a continued trend in the increased mean age of physicians in this country. So what kind of issues does that actually raise uh, on multiple levels, whether it's for medical regulators or members of the public just concerned about access to health care? Yeah, we've definitely seen um, growth. You know, the, our current census indicates that there are 985,026 actively licensed physicians in the United States. Um, and we've seen growth in that, that number over the years. Uh, since 2010, that's a growth of a, you know, a little over 130,000. And, you know, the idea that um, the physician population is aging is, is definitely, you know, something that is, is real, um, and it's something to pay attention to. We've seen some significant growth over the years um, in the population that's 60 years and older. Uh, they now represent uh, 30% of the, pop- the physician population. And that's a 39% increase since 2010. 
you know, comparatively, if you kind of look at it, those that are uh, 49 years and younger have only increased 13%. So there's growth overall, but there's much more significant growth in that aging population, which, back to your original question, right. results into a higher mean age, you know, for the physician population. We, um, in 2010, we were sitting at, uh, you know, right about uh, 48 years as a mean age, and now we're sitting at about 51.5 years. And if you kind of take even a, a further look back, it was uh, 47 to 48 years back at the turn of the century. Wow. So okay. we definitely see an experience, even though we're adding a bunch of new physicians with growth in medical school expansion and new licensees, we're definitely seeing some uh, you know, aging of the overall population uh, of physicians. And, and really, I think that you can, you can, you know, relate that back to many of these physicians are baby boomers themselves. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that also has a, you know, has Im impacts as well with you have an aging population, physician population. Aaron, one other thing I want to ask you about this, though, is with this aging the physician workforce, could you say a little bit about what kind of potential challenges this might present for state medical boards? I mean, I could imagine that there may be some challenges that are somewhat potentially unique to an older physician population. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, many of these challenges, a, a, a lot of work, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of sectors of the workforce are going are gonna to face, you know, as, as time marches on. But particularly in healthcare, where you right. have, um, you know, some skill-based um, you know, criteria often that requires dexterity or different things like that, um, you know, that it's going to be, you know, a, a definite challenge. It also changes the culture as well. Uh, you know, you have a group of physicians that have a tremendous amount of knowledge. They're also going to be maybe perhaps exiting the workforce. They're going to work perhaps fewer hours, uh, be able to pass that knowledge along, you know, is a, is a key component. Um, you know, they're going to maybe either choose to hold on to their license and just work fewer hours or maybe even retire. Um, another impact could possibly be that um, they're less up to maybe if they were serving in some more remote environments, maybe right. they don't want to commute to those environments again. So those are all impacts. And just the overall uh, collective culture of the workforce is going to be changing. That's something uh, you know, important for medical boards to to keep in mind as they're trying to figure out how to govern, you know, the future of medicine. Right. Aaron, as I was looking through the physician, uh, the census data, rather, uh, one of the other trends that seemed fairly striking to me involved gender. And I wondered if you could talk for just a moment about that, because that, that seems to be something that also has the ability to have a fairly significant impact on uh, not simply physician count, but how medicine is being practiced and how patients experience it? That's a great question, and, and it's really spot on. Um, we have uh, seen, you know, tremendous growth in, uh, like many industries out there as well, over the last three decades. Medicine has seen, um, you know, significant growth in the number of females that are participating in the workforce, you know, at all levels, not just the physician level. Uh, but, um, you know, what, what we've seen, in, in, and not to, to understate anything, we've seen growth in both the male and the female physician populations, but if you kind of do a comparison and you say, uh, what does it look like f male versus female, the male population has increased by 8% since 2010, and our census indicates that the female population during this same time period increased 37%, so a much more significant impact. Uh, the female population now uh, represents 
35% of the entire physician workforce. And if you kind of break this thing down, and we just talked about age, right? and if you look at age and gender, which is an important component, 33% of female physicians are 39 years or younger compared to only 19% of male. But on the other hand, you have 37% of male physicians are 60 years or older compared to only 70, 17% excuse me, of female physicians. So you can start to see where these two components come into place and play off of one another. Well, Aaron, when you were speaking, that then reminded me of something that I had read uh, fairly recently, I think about a year ago, that the Association of American Medical Colleges referenced that for the first time ever, I think women constituted over half of the enrollment in medical school. So it would seem that some of this trend you're seeing in the uh, census data is going to become even more pronounced over time in the decades to come. That's exactly right. I think that... um, you know, as you mentioned, you're seeing pretty much a 50-50 split in uh, medical school enrollment, and consequently, what our pro- our projections based on our census data uh, are indicating that by 2040, we're going to we're going to have about a 45 to 55 split, meaning that the uh, female physician population will be at 45 percent by 2040, with the males being at 55 percent by then. So. Over time, you're definitely going to see, you know, a more balanced, uh, you know, workforce when it comes to gender. And that's going to represent a, a major change. When I just think from a historical perspective of, you know, women's representation in medicine, in particular, their participation in medicine, I guess I should say, uh, obviously historically much lower than that when you go back uh, a number of decades. So that's a wonderful trend to kind of be able to spotlight at this point. It- and I think that, that I think that's a great point. You know, we when we start to look at what will be the impact, and you know, what are some of this folds into that aspect of a cultural change in medicine as well, right. and adds to that. You know, you've got male physicians. Um, you know, what research has indicated tend to have more patient encounters, while right. female physicians just tend to. These are not you know, you know, standard rules, but sure. you know, there's their trends. They tend to be more patient centered from a communication standpoint and actually spend longer with their patients to address some issues. So there's some differences there. There's also that work-life balance, you know, component. Um, now, I would argue that that's probably not unique to just females, that that's unique to the younger population as well, but it's also something to keep an eye on too. And all of these will have an impact on the overall, you know, physician population and what they're, you know, willing to, uh, to do and what their availability for right. work is. Well, Aaron, it, as I think about, you know, the nature of our, or the flow of our conversation so far, you know, it, it's, in some ways we've been talking a little bit about some things that touch on, uh, frankly, some trends in medical school enrollment here in the U.S., but if I step back and think about the physician workforce in the United States, it's obviously much more diverse than simply individuals who have graduated from medical schools here in the U.S. So where do the majority of physicians in the U.S. come from, and can you talk about whether we're producing frankly, all the physicians that we need as a nation? You know, the short answer are, are within this country, are we producing all the physicians that we need is, uh, is really no. Uh, but uh, if you look at the, uh, where physicians are coming from, 75% right. are coming from medical and osteopathic schools within the United States. We've seen growth and expansion in both of those, particularly with the osteopathic schools, um, you know, over the past few years. Uh, but 25% of those, nearly 25%, are coming from uh, medical schools, you know, outside of the United States. Right. And we, uh, you know, when we look at that a little deeper, you know, we can see that, you know, throughout the country, 
uh, you know, our census indicates that the U.S. Uh, licensed physician population graduated from 2,000 medical schools in 167 countries from around the world. And when you wow. take a look at that and you take a deeper dive into what areas of the world are they coming from, um, you know, some of the old stalwarts uh, that they've been coming from from years like India and Pakistan and the Philippines are there. But you also have uh, Mexico as well. And uh, one of the things that has emerged as particular interest to the uh, physician community and to, you know, healthcare in general is this expansion of individuals from the Caribbean medical schools throughout right. that region as well. And those definitely have some, you know, different characteristics. What we've seen in, uh, you know, over the years is those that are uh, graduating from Caribbean schools uh, and coming back and practicing in the United States tend to be uh, one younger uh, okay. individuals, obviously, but also U.S. citizens. So this is something we've kept an eye on just to, you know, monitor this trend, but it's definitely been a significant trend over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so. Aaron, when looking at this uh, most recent census, are there other specific areas that you th would believe that as a medical regulator, uh, someone should be paying some close attention to? You know, I think that when we try to, um, you know, boil it down to specific reasons, it's yeah. always a, a difficult thing to do. I think that uh, regulators and I, and I, you know, from the conversations that I've had with many of them, you know, they tend to have to take things in its, you know, totality. And this is, this is no exception, I would, I would say as well. You know, you have a bunch of different things going on in medicine all at one time. You have evolving healthcare models, which include things like telemedicine. Um, you have a changing, you know, have, you have a set of changing expectations for incoming physicians as far as, you know, work-life balance. You have a retiring and aging, you know, population that also have different expectations from how much they may perhaps want to work as well, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, their work-life balance. Maybe they want to work fewer hours or simply retire uh, and maybe even retire a little bit earlier than what they, what they may have thought they were going to. All of these in their, you know, totality and together uh, create unique challenges for licensing boards as they move forward. And so they have to kind of almost attack multiple things on multiple fronts. Um, you know, I, I think that also, too, when you've got an aging population, uh, there are some of our medical boards that are starting to consider, uh, you know, how do they uh, address or do they address, you know, the competency of aging physicians. But they also at the same time want to avoid any type of ageism or unnecessary reductions in the workforce. Right. So all of these, in you know, you know in their totality start to, you know, create some interesting and new challenges, you know, for medical boards. The other thing that I would add to this, uh, you know, conversation is, is, you know, we've seen and talked about, um, you know, a lot of growth within the licensed population, which incidentally is the foundation for, you know, many workforce studies. You know, you have to have a right. license. It provides a great uh, foundation for multiple workforce studies at the local and state levels for policymakers and others within the healthcare marketplace. But one of the th trends that we've seen is we've seen this steady growth in our census licensed physician populations driven a lot in, in large part due to that medical uh, school expansion that we discussed. But uh, also it's because some of those older physicians are still maintaining their licenses and practicing in the workforce as well. So the real question is, is when do we get to that tipping point to where 
are or will we get to that tipping point to where there are more that are exiting the workforce than are actually entering the workforce? And that's something right. as we you know continue to explore this and to do our census in 2020 and beyond that we'll definitely keep an eye on. It's important to know is there going to be some sort of time period or you know place in time where we get to fewer physicians coming in and more exiting the workforce. Well, Aaron, this is fascinating. And as I think about what you've just said, I understand obviously that for most state medical boards, it's not a case that they have a specific directive to sort of manage workforce within their state, but the nature and the uh, characteristics of the workforce in their state are going to then impact ultimately that medical board just by virtue of patient interactions, sometimes complaints that come. And so the nature of that workforce in some ways is still going to be relevant to each medical board itself. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, Aaron, thank you for joining us. Uh, For those of us who are interested in seeing the full uh, Federation Census of Licensed Physicians, I would encourage you to check out jmronline.org. And I'd like to thank our listeners today and hope you will join us for our next JMR podcast. This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org.